Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires Hey, good morning. I want to say welcome to everyone here and those who are joining us online. And this is the start of this series about what matters most in life. And we get reminded of this when a baby is born and we see this helpless, unimaginably precious life. Uh, We're reminded when a couple exchanges vows at a wedding ceremony to declare their love and devotion to each other. Uh, We hear about a soldier laying down their life for their friends. Uh, When an elderly woman who has Alzheimer's is cared for uh, day after day, month after month, year after year by her child. When an inner city teacher keeps showing up long after all of her colleagues have burnt out, she keeps showing up with energy and passion for the sake of that one child whose life might be changed. When a young girl in Thailand who is sex trafficked, risks her life to begin again for the sake of her two-year-old child. When a cold heart repents in a marriage that was headed for disaster and that marriage gets reborn. When someone lies dying in a hospital bed surrounded by friends and family who they have shared life with. It's in moments like these that we know love is what matters most. Love is what life is all about. Love is what matters most of all. Love is why we exist. Love is uh, what God created us for. Uh, There are a number of things in this life that we can get right. But if we get this wrong, if we get love wrong, uh, none of it will matter. You know, I could be in the best physical condition in the world. Uh, The strongest man in the Bible, the man uh, in the best physical condition was probably Samson. And his life was a train wreck. I mean, he was in great shape, but his life was a wreck. I could be in the best financial condition in the world. Jesus told a story about a rich man who was in his best financial year ever. He tore down his old barns, he built bigger ones, and then he ends up dying. And someone else gets all of his stuff. And God calls him a fool. He was wealthy, but he didn't honor God. I could be in the best career in the world. The most successful man in Jesus' day was a man named Herod. Herod was a a cruel and oppressive slave driver. I could be in the best college and get the best education in the world. Uh, The smartest person in the Bible was a man named Solomon, and he ended up with a thousand wives. Uh, So he obviously had some mommy and daddy issues. Um, He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, a book of wisdom and regret. Uh, after living what he described as a meaningless life. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Corinth in the 13th chapter. He says these amazing words, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have, the faith, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. 
I read a modern translation of that passage this week. It goes like this. Though I tweet like Justin Bieber and have more Facebook friends than the Pope, uh, though I get a BA from Cal and an MBA from Stanford, though I invent Snapchat and Instagram and WhatsApp and Uber, though I have great hair and white teeth and low body fat, though I solve global warming, set philanthropic records, and drive a Hummer that runs on compost, if I do not have love, I am nothing. You might put the equation like this, according to Paul, everything minus love equals nothing. Or on the other hand, if I have love, or if I have nothing, but I add to it love, then I have everything in God's eyes. Now, Paul gets this idea about the importance of love from Jesus, uh, who said one time that all of life, all of moral imperative uh, boils down to this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law, all of the prophets, all of the commandments really hang on these two commandments. It's all about love. I'm setting a goal for myself um, as a result of this series. Um, I want to be more loving. I want to be a more loving person by the end of 2020 than I am today. Uh, I want to train myself to be a more loving person in 2020. And that's really my hope for our church. Uh, Now, if your goal is to be more physically fit, you'd probably join a gym If your goal is to be more financially healthy, you might use an investment firm. If you want more career success, you might get a coach or take a class. If you want to grow in your capacity to love the people that God puts into your life, where should you go? You're there, right here in this place. I mean, the whole purpose of the church is to increase the amount of love in our world. And churches can get confused about this and often... Uh, end up, you know, in destructive forms. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and good conscience and sincere faith. The goal of Christian instruction is not that people know a lot, it's that people love a lot. Though I know the entire Bible, but I have not love. I'm nothing. As a matter of fact, knowing can actually sometimes be a problem. Paul said one time, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. This could be a problem for church people. I was talking to someone who is not part of our church, but he asked me, why do so many churches seem to be jerk factories? And it's okay that churches attract jerks. We're supposed to do that, but we shouldn't be producing them. Dallas Willard said one time, it's rare to find a church that is practically oriented around Jesus' instruction, love one another as I have loved you. You might think that would be a church's primary goal, but it usually turns out a a different way. Well, I want to say for us, that is our primary goal. Uh, We're launching this series today on love, but it's about more than just, you know, how do I uh, have, you know, find some tips on how to have a good relationship. Uh, This is the great purpose of of human existence uh, designed by God. So what is our aim as a church? To grow a community of extraordinarily loving people who are the great ones among us. 
not the richest, not the highest IQ, not those who know the most about the Bible, not the biggest givers, not the most gifted socially. The greatest among us are those who love. Love is what makes someone great, rightly understood. And so the question for us is, what is love as Jesus understood it and as Jesus practiced it? Um, that's, what we look, that's what we'll be looking at uh, throughout this series. But I want to start with this definition of love. Love is to will and to act for the good of someone. Uh, to love someone means to will and to act for their good. To love someone is to will and to act for them to become the best person God made them to be. You know, love is not primarily a feeling. Uh, although love certainly will involve feelings, it's not primarily desire. Uh, love is not primarily closeness. Love is not primarily being agreeable or doing what you want me to do. A problem we face when it comes to defining this word love is we use this word love for so many different things. We say, I love you, I love my children, I love my home, I love my motorcycle, I love my job, I love Maui, I love chocolate. Um, what does it mean to love chocolate? It doesn't mean I act for the good of Ghirardelli. My love will actually consume the chocolate. My love will destroy the chocolate. Jesus understood love as a God-powered condition, a God-powered way of life in which I will and act for the good of everyone I come in contact with. This concept of love from Jesus was so revolutionary, his followers had to find a word for it. And so they took a Greek word, and some of you may know this word, and I want to say something about it because it's so central to what we're talking about. It's so central to uh, this series. And the word is agape. And there was a life insurance company that used this word, agape, in a Super Bowl commercial to kind of tug on our heartstrings. Um, uh, I think it's the only commercial that actually took a serious tone uh, during the Super Bowl. If you didn't get to see it, uh, I wanted you to see it. Check this out. The ancient Greeks had four words for love. The first is philia. Philia is affection that grows from friendship. Next, there's storge. The kind you have for a grandparent or a brother. Third, there's eros, the uncontrollable urge to say, I love you. The fourth kind of love is different. It's the most admirable. It's called agape. Love as an action. It takes courage, sacrifice, strength. For 175 years, we've been helping people act on their love so they can look back or look ahead and say, we got it right. We did good. So New York Life actually got their inspiration for that commercial from a book by C.S. Lewis called The Four Loves, where C.S. Lewis identified the four types of love that were mentioned in the Bible. Um, the Greek word agape was actually very rarely used in classical Greek. Uh, it was only used in one book in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, it's actually not well-defined either. Um, it's like Jesus' disciples needed a word that they could use to fill with content to explain to the world the nature of love that Jesus taught and lived. And so they seized on this word, 
agape. Writers of the New Testament used agape dozens and dozens of times to express this understanding of love that was lived out by and taught by Jesus. Uh, For Jesus, this quality of love was not a feeling. Uh, It's not something uh, you should or even can turn on or off like a faucet, depending on who you're with. Um, You know, sometimes we'll say or we'll hear people say, you know, it's easy to love this person, but it's really hard to love that person. Jesus didn't use the word love that way. His idea was that we are to become loving people. Uh, It's a condition of being, like being healthy, where I'm so rooted in God's love for me and increasingly free of sin, which is always opposed to love. Uh, So I'm ready to will and to act for the good of any person who comes into my life because I'm a loving person, regardless of who that person is or how they feel about me. In fact, this kind of love, this agape love, where I will and act for the good, will express itself very differently depending on the condition of the person I'm with. If someone is hungry and I love someone with this kind of love, well, I'll, feel, I'll feed them. Uh, if someone is lonely and I love someone with this kind of love, I'll connect with them and I'll listen to them. If someone is discouraged and I love someone with this kind of love, well, I'll encourage them. Let me give you another example Let's say I'm with a child, Uh, let's say it's my child, and my child is a spoiled brat. Um, What will I give them if I love them with this kind of love? I'll give them discipline. Um, You see, this is where this kind of love gets challenging. If I give food to a hungry person uh, and they think I'm loving, well, they'll be grateful and will probably be close. If I give encouragement to someone who's discouraged, well, they'll think I'm loving and will probably be close. If I give discipline to a spoiled brat, will they think I'm loving? No, they will not think I'm loving. You see, in order to be a loving person, I have to be prepared to be seen as unloving. I'll need to have a source for that love that is so stable that it enables me to live in kind of a risky way, in kind of a confrontational way with other people sometimes. I must be rooted in a more secure source of love than any human being can give, in the kind of love that only God can give. That's why Paul writes, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. Now, when a a tree is rooted in the soil, it gets nourished. It's being kept alive. It's being fed all the time. And Paul says, I want you to be like that. I want you to be rooted in your thoughts and in your mind and in your feelings all the time in God's love. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. In other words, this kind of love, agape love, the condition of being where I act and I will for the good of everyone in my life, it arises out of a certain condition, and that is being rooted in God's love. And then it's always oriented toward the good. It's always, it always means I'm working for the good of whoever I am face-to-face with. This is the kind of love that has extraordinary power, Paul says. You know, often in our day when we talk about the power of love, uh, we'll think about feelings because the feeling of being in love can be so powerful. Actually, to Jesus and his followers, to Paul and to John, it was this God-powered agape love that gave them the extraordinary power. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. 
I mean, think about that. Love never fails. It will always will and act for the good, no matter what. Paul said in Romans 8, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul also said in Romans 12, Do not be overcome by evil. You know, evil can be so strong in our world, but overcome evil with good. That's what love does. It overcomes evil with good. Now, we'll talk about this more throughout this series, but this is our goal, to live in this love, God's love, agape love, and to become more loving people. Now, there's a book that I've chosen to use as a template for this series. It's called The Five Love Languages. Um, And the core idea of the five love, love languages is that we all have certain ways that we most readily give love and receive love from other people. And I just want to walk through them, uh, the five of them, real quickly. Uh, For some people, they get love most when it's expressed through uh, words of affirmation. They're words people. Uh, They love to speak and hear words of love. Maybe that's you. For some, it's spending quality time. Uh, When you spend time with me, that's when I feel loved by you. For some, it's giving gifts. Uh, Some people are really creative and very thoughtful around giving gifts. For some, it's acts of service. Uh, Serving people is how you express love and the way you're uh, best able to receive it. Uh, For some, it's physical touch, just that experience of a hand or an embrace. You might want to think about what your your natural love language tends to be. Um, If you're not sure, you can look up five love languages online, and there's a free assessment that you can take to figure it out. But in the time that we have left today, I want to talk about how to express love through words. Uh, There's a wonderful statement from the Apostle Paul about this. Paul writes, do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. By the way, how is that going? Like, do you think Paul really meant that? Like, do you think he really thought about what he was writing there? What would it look like for you not to let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth? Like, how much would you have to cut down on the amount of words that you speak in order to get to no unwholesome word coming out of your mouth? You see, in order to love like this, and this is part of why it's so important to understand love is not primarily a feeling, this is going to require me to become a different person. Do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You see, love seeks to be helpful for building up others according to their needs, not according to my own natural preferences. And as we begin this series today, I just want to ask you to maybe think of a few people in your life, maybe a friend, maybe your spouse, maybe your children, maybe your parents, maybe someone at work, maybe someone in this room right now. Would you become a student of that person or those people and ask, like, which of the five love languages is the best way to communicate love to that person? And how do I go about doing that? I'll give you an example. Uh, Early in my marriage, when I didn't really know anything about the love languages, I just assumed that my wife, Kathy, would feel loved when I bought her gifts 
or when I cleaned the house. Um, when I was growing up, my dad bought mom, my mom gifts to express his love to her, and so that's just kind of what I observed as an expression of love. Uh, my mom cleaned the house to express her love uh, to my dad. Uh, now, when I say my mom cleaned the house, I mean she washed the floor on her hands and knees like several times a week. Um, she scoured our bathroom every day, even when it wasn't used, she did that. Um, and I just grew up thinking, like, that's the way you express love to your family. Um, I thought there were probably verses in the Bible about stuff like that. Um, and I was surprised to find out there weren't. I'm still looking, actually. I think most of us just kind of absorb a whole lot of the way we think love is to be expressed from watching how things played out when, when we were uh, growing up. And so early in my marriage, I expressed love to my wife by cleaning the house, except she didn't feel loved when I cleaned the house. Um, as a matter of fact, she didn't even notice when I cleaned the house. Um, it just wasn't on her radar. And now the danger is because my effort to express love through serving, through acts of service, didn't get received the way that I intended, uh, I can take it personally. You know, I can feel like, you know, well, you don't appreciate me. You don't want to feel intimate and close to me because you don't even notice what I'm doing to try to get your attention. And the reality is, I should have used other expressions of love if I really wanted to be effective in making my wife feel loved. Uh, one of my kids feels loved with physical touch. Uh, when she was younger, just tickling her until she was screaming and laughing and wrestling and shouting to stop and hoping that it would start again, I mean, that would just fill up her little love tank. Just as much as words would fill up her older sister. My wife will write notes to our kids and hide them in their luggage when they go to camp. And she writes words of affirmation. She writes words of encouragement. She writes, you know, hopes that she has for them at camp. She writes things that she loves about being their mom. And very predictably, that gift has the highest impact depending on the extent to which each child has words of affirmation as their love language. Uh, my wife does that because that's the kind of natural love language that she tends to speak. And what I'm learning is, instead of writing words to all of our children or giving gifts to all of our children, uh, which is the language that Kathy and I speak, we need to be thinking of things to do that would actually be in their primary love language. And that would be different. There would be different gifts for each one of our three kids. Learning to speak the love language of the people in your heart is crucial. I was talking to a friend of mine who is a Christian psychologist, and he says he uses this book all the time with people, in married life, in families, in relationships, because identifying and using the love language uh, of the main people in your life uh, can transform relationships. And as we think about words of affirmation and begin to apply it and work on words this week, uh, you might want to write this verse down and just kind of keep it somewhere so that you can see it during the week. This is from the book of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 25:11. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. The right word in the right time, in the right tone, to the right person is gold. And you can probably remember getting a word like that from someone. A woman tells an amazing story about the power of words. Um, she said, growing up on a farm, her daddy had a little grocery store 
on the corner. And every time the milkman would come in, he would rub around the head and he would say, how's my little Miss America who's so beautiful and talented? And this milkman was really nice to her and she would watch him stock the milk and every week he would come in, you know, how's my little Miss America? Week after week, summer after summer, year after year. And when she was in junior high, she started to enter pageants. And when she was in high school, Miss America actually became a goal. And when she finally won Miss America, she gave the credit to the milkman, which is kind of weird. <laughs> she said, those words shaped my life. I mean, there's power in words. You know, I think of that story every time I see my daughter, every time I see her, I rub her on the head and I say, how's my little Miss Millionaire who's so talented and smart? <laughs> this week, just real simply, pick someone in your life a friend, maybe someone in your small group, a child, a spouse, and pay them one compliment each day, all week. We can all do this. But it has to be honest. And it has to be non-manipulative. Uh, the other thing Paul said about love is love must be sincere. And there have been many times where that verse has deeply challenged me. Uh, when I think about real people in my life, love must be sincere. In our world, so often, instead of being sincere, love-sounding words are just used to manipulate people. I was at a restaurant with a friend a while ago, and I ordered a salad, and our server said when I ordered the salad, a brilliant. And then my friend ordered soup, and the server said, perfect. And then it was time to order the main course, and I ordered something, and the, servant said, uh, uh, the server said, excellent choice. And then my friend ordered something, and he said, wonderful selection. And it just kept going on and on like that. Beverage, fantastic. Dessert, you'll love it. And I finally asked him, because it was just so over the top, do you ever say to someone, what a stupid thing to order. What kind of moron are you? And he told me in the kitchen, they have a list of affirmations, and they're required as a condition of their employment, every time someone orders something, anything, no matter what it is, to respond with one of those affirmation statements. That's not sincere. I mean, that's just inflating someone's ego to get more money out of them. Like, what kind of low-esteem people are we that we go to a restaurant and someone has to tell us what a brilliant decision that we've made? <laughs> Macaroni and cheese. Oh, my gosh, you must have gone to Harvard. <laughs> that's not sincere. So this is the assignment. Think of key people in your life and ask, like, what is a quality what is a, an action or something that they've done that you genuinely admire or that you genuinely appreciate? And then tell them. And maybe you want to start thinking about that now. I spent some time thinking about people that I've spent the last few weeks with and just wrote down some things that I could say. And I was amazed at how often when I looked back on it, I could think of so many things that I often don't say in the moment. And it could just be super simple, like that color looks great on you. I love the way you encourage your child. It's, it's really good parenting. It's also a really good example to me as a parent. I thought, you know, you thought to text that person. I, like, wouldn't have thought about that. I love the way you connect with people. You had a good idea for getting our small group to get to know each other better. You know, thanks for doing that. To a young couple, I admire how you're building into your marriage. Uh, we have people on our staff at our church who just have a great sense of humor, like, I could tell them, you make me laugh. I love to laugh. Thanks for making me laugh. Apples of gold in settings of silver. You could do that. So this week, just pick someone. Just real simply, 
one genuine compliment per day, all week long. And then along with words of love, practice using humble words. Uh, humble words can actually communicate love. Uh, I had a moment recently when I handled anger badly towards someone in my family, and I had to go back and say, I handled that wrong. Will you forgive me? And just humbled myself. Um, I said something else when, with, when our family was around the table, and I intended it to be funny, but it was actually cutting. And I had to go back and say, you know, I think I hurt you when I said that, and I need to ask for your forgiveness. Maybe there's someone you need to go to and just speak humble words to. Paul wrote again in 1 Corinthians 13. This is a great chapter that it would be really good for you to kind of just live with throughout this series. Paul wrote, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. Love does not boast, but I boast. Why do I do that? You know, I hear someone else has accomplished something or achieved something, and I'm tempted to compare myself to that or feel diminished by it. And so I want to say, you know, hey, look at me. I did something. I want you to see this. Why do I do that? Well, I'm trying to acquire from boasting a sense that I matter or a sense that I count. And love doesn't do that. Because love has already received that genuinely and irretrievably from God. Love doesn't boast because it has other things it needs to do. It has more interesting things to do. It doesn't need to boast. That's love. There's nothing like love. And this is so important. This gets deeply into what it means to be formed spiritually. Our goal in this is not that we aim at doing loving things. That's not the goal. If you just try to do more loving things, you're going to exhaust yourself. The idea is we aim at becoming the kind of person through whom loving actions just flow. Jesus would often talk about this. He talked about changing the inside of the tree, uh, changing or cleaning the inside of the cup. Don't aim at doing right things. Don't aim at doing loving stuff. Aim at becoming someone who is rooted enough in love that it just flows out of your life because that just looks like the same thing to do. I went through the Gospel of Mark this last week and I was looking specifically at the words Jesus spoke. And of course, he's the master of speaking words of love, often very challenging to people. Uh, what struck me was the first words involving love in the Gospel of Mark were not words spoken by Jesus. They were words spoken to Jesus. After he had been baptized, Mark says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You see, I think Jesus was just rooted in that love and that voice. After this, he went into the wilderness for 40 days, and that's the voice he listened to. Still in the first chapter of Mark, when he started his ministry, there's a lot of stuff to do. The writer says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I mean, that's the voice he listened to. You are my son. I love you very much. I want to say the most important words this week will not be the ones that you or I say. They'll be the ones that we hear. Because God says to us, you are my son. You are my, da my daughter. I love you very much. You see, words matter. Words are like gold. In a few moments, this service will be over, and then it will be time for us to go out and practice loving. Um, you know, when we come to church, it's great to learn, but this is not just about learning. 
Uh, it's great to worship together, but this is not just about worshiping God. When we come, when we gather, we gather to love and be loved. That's why we gather with other people. When this, is serv- when this service is over, just take a few moments to express love to someone. Uh, practice saying words of love. You know, I'm really glad you're here. Hi, my name's Matt. What's your name? How did you end up at Blue Oaks? I'm really glad you're here. Our aim is to grow a community of extraordinarily loving people. And so I hope you come back next week. I hope you're committed to being here for this series. Uh, This week, go out and speak words of love, and then come back next week, and we'll learn more about how to love. Um, All right, let's pray as the band comes to lead us in a closing song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift of love. Uh, God, I know there are people in this room who have been uh, hurt or wounded or scarred, uh, people who are disappointed or afraid or angry or bitter or confused. God, would you help us to understand what this love looks like? Where there are hearts that have gotten hard, God, I pray that you would soften those hearts. Uh, Where there are wounds, uh, God, I pray that you would heal those. God, would you help us to be a church where love just starts to radiate out, just like a light, all over the Bay Area? God, would you be on our hearts and in our mouths, in our faces? Uh, God, may, may love just rule and reign in this place. And God, most of all, we thank you so much for the love that you sent us through your son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 845, 10, and 11.15. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today.